Autobots roll out. This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript This episode is sponsored by CodeShip.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your test passed? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's CodeShip. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically. For fuss-free, continuous delivery, check them out at CodeShip.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 131 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Dave Smith. Hello, world from beautiful Paris, France. Jameson Dance. Hey, everyone. Joe Eames. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have a special guest today, and that is Dave Nugent. That's me. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly, Dave? Uh, sure. I'm Dave Nugent. I work at a company called PubNub, and what I do for fun is organize JavaScript meetups and conferences. Awesome. I didn't know you worked at PubNub. I've used PubNub a ton at work, both first and praised its name. Oh, my condolences. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get started, there is one thing I want to announce, and that is is that I've been talking to the people who do the JavaScript mobile frameworks like Cordova, Ionic, Famous. And if you want to go to a roundtable where they're all going to be there discussing what options you have, then you can actually do that. If you text the keyword MobileJS to 38470 then you'll get a reply text message that gives you information on how you can uh, show up for that. It's going to be on November 5th, and yeah, you'll get more details if you text in. So I just wanted to put that out there because I know a lot of people are trying to figure out which ones they want to use and which ones they're interested in. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and talk about conferences and meetups. So Dave, what conferences and meetups are you responsible for? So I run the JavaScript meetup in SF, and then also Forward, which is a conference about uh, web technologies. Oh, cool. I didn't know you ran ForwardJS either. I guess I didn't know anything about you. So everything you say, I don't have to say, oh, cool, I didn't know that. (laughs) It's just implied, right? (laughs) But that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So if Dave says something that you do know, you should say, oh, cool, I knew that. Hey, there we go. (laughs) Did you Um, know JavaScript is a programming language on the internet? I thought it was on computers. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure so bad at this. between computers and the internet. 
I heard they have I, the internet on computers now. I thought, oh, okay. that's heresy. No, not computers. So forward JS. So what's kind of the the focus of the conference? You said web technologies, but usually there's some kind of focus or message or something like that that the conference is trying to promote or put out. Yeah, absolutely. So part of it is that we we definitely want to help sort of push the web forward. Um, so anything that we can do around open standards, the open web, JavaScript languages, and also just kind of helping people understand that they can build pretty awesome things without necessarily using tens of thousands of frameworks or products. So we definitely have an affinity towards language talks as opposed to uh, necessarily products. Interesting. Can you maybe talk about how you chose what to focus on and why you did that instead of just, we'll make a conference about the web? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure everyone here has been to a bunch of different events where you're sort of like, wow, how did this person get up on stage and talk, right? And it turns out that a lot of times they'll pay for it or they'll just have a product that they want to promote. And then at the end of the talk, you're kind of like, oh, man, I just wasted 30 minutes of my life right there. (laughs) So our goal was a bit of a reaction towards that because there really are a lot of super smart people out there doing really interesting things that you want to hear about. So it's a little bit reactionary, but then also we're just big fans of JavaScript and the open web, uh, functional programming, different sort of like weird programming techniques that might not get an airing at a big conference. Um, And so we wanted to, to give those more exposure. It seems like there's a proliferation of JavaScript-related events right now, and you kind of have to focus, or there's no reason for people to attend your event, because there are dozens and hundreds, especially if you're around San Francisco, there are so many JavaScript events that if it's just, hey, this is another JavaScript conference, why would you go to this one over other ones? Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely have to, to set your event apart somehow. So I'm going to offer a counterpoint to that because I think there are like lots of JavaScript events that are general and they still do well, right? Like Mountain West JS and Texas JS, even JS Conf is just, well, I mean, I guess JS Conf has sort of got a theme like we want to, they only have talks that have nothing to do with what's been going on previously. You know, it's brand new stuff. Yeah, totally. I don't think you necessarily have to limit yourself as far as the the types of talks you select, but having a theme to your event and also making sure that you're that you're true to that, I think definitely comes across to the attendees. We're definitely having a lot easier time getting attendees for our second event after the positive feedback of our first event. So I think there's definitely a place for things like NGConf, but there's still a place for more general conferences. We're also going to have talks about sort of like the the overall culture of technology, working with teams. So it's definitely not just focused on JavaScript. So this is the second time you're, you're going through this conference. What things are you doing differently? So I, I know that sometimes conferences tend to expand in scope and scale, kind of get more larger and more extravagant as they go. But are there things that you would have done in your first run through that you know now? So not things that are like, we're going to have a live band come get helicoptered into the stage because we have all this money now. But I don't know. Does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. So we're using a Zeppelin instead of a helicopter, but your ideas are totally legit. Okay. But no, <laughs> we actually are, are dialing it back a little bit in terms of we're going to expand the number of people who we can fit into the venue, but we're, we're decreasing the number of tracks from four to three. Last time we tried to go with four tracks because we wanted to have some smaller rooms where we had more esoteric talks 
so that people could potentially give a talk at a big event without necessarily having to appeal to everybody there. This time we're actually just going to do three rooms that are going to be slightly bigger and we're going to shorten the, the length of the talk slightly with the idea, hopefully true, that if you take a 40-minute talk and condense it down into 30 minutes, you're going to distill out the, the best 30 minutes of that talk. And at the same time, we're also increasing the number of attendees, but keeping it sort of artificially low, like we probably could sell about twice as many tickets and we're specifically trying not to. And then the last thing is we're also <laughs> limiting the number of sponsors that we have. We don't want to sign up more than probably half a dozen sponsors. Uh, just to make sure there's not sort of like a trade show type vibe. So interesting. You said quite a few points that really interest me. You know, obviously I've, I'm involved in NGConf. I'm involved in a little local Utah JS conference. And then I'm also an organizer for Loop Conference, which is a WordPress conference. And so we've made some of the same decisions and some very different decisions from what you described. For example, the talk length with NGConf, we went with t mostly 20 minute talks and we found that to be very effective. A lot of content. A lot of talks were given, whereas with Utah.js, we go with uh, longer talks, like 45-minute talks, and it's interesting to see the contrast between the two. You know, you can go through a lot more, and you can show a lot more, but it's a, probably about the same amount of content, just a little bit um, more complete coverage, or maybe people feel a little bit more comfortable with what you talk about. But I kind of get the feeling that when you go to conference, what you're not looking for is how to do something but instead the idea that something can be done and then you go home and you figure out how to do it at that point. Yeah, I think everybody has a different sort of goal uh, when they attend a conference. A lot of people are just looking for networking. A lot of people want a deep dive into a specific subject matter. I think that's why like these focused conferences work really well, right? Like you could have an entire conference about Angular and just different aspects of it. Uh, or you could just have a 20-minute talk sort of like an overview of the current Angular ecosystem. And each of those approaches, I think, are equally valid. They just appeal to different audiences. We actually are splitting up some of our 30-minute slots into two 12-minute talks. Uh, and there will be people that give really, really awesome 12-minute talks. Previously, we did 40-minute talks, and there were some pretty amazing 40-minute talks. I think it depends on the, the attendees and the, and the speakers. And the nice thing about having multiple tracks, even though that's sort of out of vogue these days, is that you can actually have people choose, you know, yeah, I want to hear somebody talk for 30 minutes about this topic, or no, I just want a couple quick sound bites in 12-minute talks. So it's interesting you talk about multi-track going out of vogue because I still attend a lot of multi-track conferences, and I kind of feel like, at least as an organizer, that I organize a multi-track when it's something where everybody's not coming to hear a certain small set of people speak. Where with an ng-conf and at loop-conf, the WordPress conference, that's what we have. We have a lot of the big industry, you know, ng-conf, we've got all the ng, the Angular team coming. And everybody wants to hear them speak. So it was multi-track. Whoever went up at the same time as one of those guys just wouldn't have anybody show up, right? But then you go to other conferences where you're pulling in a variety of topics. And something might be interesting to somebody else and might not be interesting to somebody. So you want multi-track to let that go. So that's my opinion kind of on multi-track versus single track, but it does seem like there are a lot of single track conferences popping up. I hope that's not because there's some sort of a style to conferences and people are trying to fit into some mold. I so, don't know if it's necessarily the case. I went to um, Empire JS in, uh, in New York recently. That was a really awesome single track conference, but you could tell it was super carefully curated, right? Like the talks were 
you could tell that they'd been gone over again and again because, you know, that's the only thing going on right now. If that talk isn't good, then, you know, there's no alternative. So I, I think right. probably it requires more careful curation, but it's an awesome way to run an event if you have that kind of time. But it also makes it difficult then, right? Because you might be less likely to include a newer speaker or somebody that doesn't have anything that's already been published so that you can see how good of a speaker they are. Because they can have a great topic, but be a terrible speaker and vice versa. They can be a great speaker with a terrible topic and they can be both. And if you haven't seen them before, you really wouldn't know. Well, that, and that's a great point. And one of the things that we're trying to do a lot with Forward is to, first of all, encourage new speakers to enter the ecosystem. Because I'm sure you've seen that there's sort of these smaller community-run conferences and then there's these huge enterprise conferences. And you'll see speakers come in at the community level and then sort of get, quote-unquote, promoted to these enterprise conferences. And I think one reason is that it's very easy to approve a speaker who's already had some experience, right? And so at some point, somebody has to go out and actually vet new speakers and help them along the way. And one of the ways that I found is particularly easy to do that is to say, look, there's going to be three tracks going on. You only have to present for 12 minutes. We'll help you with all the content and all the presentation style and everything. But don't worry, it's it's not all on you, right? Whereas in a single track conference, I imagine it might be a little bit more difficult because you're saying like, okay, there's 600 people. They're all going to be watching you. It's either like you or they're going to take a bathroom break. So no pressure. <laughs> yeah. Well, so first off, I assume that was your first time speaking to so many people. And two, it was also a very short talk, right? So if you could talk to both of those aspects, I think that would be interesting. Well, yeah, that was my first time. And uh, it was my first time giving a talk to that many people. What were there, like 600 people or something, Joe? Or like 20,000 people? Just over 700. <laughs> right, so like, so like 45,000 people. That's what I remember. And uh, yeah, and it was actually a 45-minute talk. I was one of the longer talks of the day. Oh, that's right. That's right. And I was actually super, I was really super grateful that the NGConf organizers were willing to take a chance on me because you hadn't really seen me talk. I actually hadn't ever spoken at a conference, but I think in the end it went really well. And I enjoyed it enough that I've started applying at other conferences to speak at. And I was, it was just super awesome for me. Hopefully my other talks will be really good. I have one day after tomorrow here in Paris to give, which is really cool. At least for me. Hopefully it's cool for the audience. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you'd like to know about it? No, I guess that was it. I'd forgotten you had the longer time frame. I thought, you know, we had most oh, talks at 20 yeah. minutes. So I was hoping you'd talk yeah, to that. Yeah, you were really answer. regretting. You were At minute 21, you were like, oh my gosh, we made a terrible <laughs> mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Your talk on YouTube. That's one of the ones that I've referred to many times and watched. It's a great talk. So as a conference organizer, I mean, what do you look for in your speakers? I mean, are you looking for people to just show up and, you know, how, how do you know that they're going to do well or give a good talk? Sure, yeah. So you don't. But generally, conferences follow this uh, tried and true practice of opening up a CFP and getting people to apply, right? So mm -hmm. you, you have a CFP open for a month or two and you ask people to submit applications. You'll get a lot of people who want to promote a repo that they've built who want to promote a product that they've built, who want to talk about the product of the company that they work for. Those talks we tend to sort of add a bit of a demerit to, not because, you know, it's not awesome and it could be a really good talk. Uh, that's just not particularly want, what we want to use the platform that we're building to promote. And then also you'll find some people who 
you really just don't know uh, what they're going to do. So it's great to have a conversation with those people, find out their motivations for wanting to talk. A lot of times they'll just want to further their career or talk about something interesting that they've built, uh, share their experiences, sort of running a team or building a project. Those are the kind of talks that I particularly like. And then as far as popularity of the topic or subject matter, you know, obviously you want something that'll resonate with the people attending the conference, but we definitely don't just go for the, the stuff that we know is going to pack a room. We also go for the the topics that we think are important for people to yeah, to awful. know about. That's like, right. how do you build teams? How do you work with an agile methodology to remote team? That has nothing to do with JavaScript particularly, but it's something that we think a lot of JavaScript developers might be interested in. So we'll put a few of those throughout the schedule so that people, if people get tired of hearing about, you know, how the semicolon is going to be used in ES6, then they can go to some of those other talks. So besides the uh, talk itself, what about just the person themselves? What do you look for in the actual speaker? You know, aside from their, their motivation is a, is a big factor, just sort of figuring out what they're hoping to get out of the talk. People who just want to share their knowledge, that's a powerful plus. And then as a conference organizer who's concerned about diversity of attendees, one thing that I've noticed running the JavaScript meetup is that the diversity of the speaker lineup will tend to mirror the diversity of the attendees. I think there's something about having a diverse speaker lineup that sort of flips a switch in people's brains and they say, oh, wow, this is the kind of place that I'd be welcome. So if that's something that you care about getting those attendees as an organizer, that's probably something you want to look at when choosing your speakers. I think that's a really good point about diversity of speakers. I think just the state of our industry is if you don't do very much work, your speaker lineup, the people that submit talks, will not be very diverse. Can you talk about kind of what you do as an organizer to encourage a diverse lineup of proposals and speakers beyond just saying, I mean, they're kind of obvious things like you have a code of conduct, you make it clear that it's a welcoming and friendly atmosphere, but I feel like you kind of have to go put a little bit of effort in to encourage it more. Yeah, I think as an organizer, you, you sort of choose what you put your time into. And one of the things that I do is incessantly bother prospective speakers <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not just in the name of diversity, but just, you know, if I see a talk that I would really like to have somebody give, I just try to do whatever I can to make it so that we can get that to work, whether it's, you know, paying for a plane ticket and lodging or finding some way of working it into the schedule so that it works with their work schedule. Just sort of like going out there and, and saying, hey, I know this is not necessarily something that you've thought of before, but I'd really like you to give talk X depending on how many slots you have to fill, you can probably get a good number of uh, speakers just from personal contacts. Of course, you always have to be sort of like understanding that not everybody will want to give a talk at a conference. Not everybody has the time or the inclination. Um, so it's not like they owe you anything, right? It's not like you're giving them this amazing opportunity. Some speakers will think, oh, wow, what an amazing opportunity. And some of them will think like, stop clogging my email. But you have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> So we've talked a lot about conferences. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between running a conference and running a meetup? That's a great question. So there's, there's lots of different types of conferences, and, and one of the things that usually sets them apart, and this is going to sound self-evident, right, is the time of day. So a lot of times conferences will happen during the day, so you'll have to find a venue. Usually you'll have to pay for it. Um, you'll have to feed people, give them coffee, stuff like that. So the overhead tends to be higher. And so generally you have to also charge for tickets. And at that point, it starts to become a job, right? You have to put down a deposit. 
you have to fly people out, you have to print up programs and find hotel rooms and stuff like that. So it starts to get complicated really quickly. Meetups seem to be something that you can just churn out a lot of, especially if you have contacts with venues and sponsors. At my job at PubNub, we're able to do about 150 meetups every year, but it really strains Whoa. me to do more than a couple of conferences a year. When you say do, that means sponsor or run or what? We usually will run and or host about 150 a year, not counting easy ones like office wow. hours or something. Yeah, lots of different formats. Some of them will be your standard lecture-style meetups where you'll have, you know, anywhere from 50 to 120 people show up. Some of them will be happy hour-type meetups. Some of them will happen during lunch. We call those uh, lunch and learns where people just drop by and spend a couple hours hacking on something. I'm a big fan of the multi-format meetups. I think people sort of self-select the format that they're most comfortable with. But with conferences, because of the added expense and sort of the, the pre-planning required, it's definitely a lot more work. I haven't cracked the nut on, uh, on doing more than a couple of those a year. Do you do things differently? Let's say that it's a meetup where you actually need somebody to present on something. Is your process much different in finding somebody to present at a meetup than it is for selecting speakers at a conference? I tend to look for the same things in presenters, but it's much easier at a meetup because you can give people different amounts of time to do things. So you can say, you know, okay, you want to present your platform, that's fine, we can give you five minutes to do that. Whereas somebody else might want to give a more in-depth topic, you can give them an hour to do that. So I think you can definitely open yourself up to a more diverse range of topics, of formats, uh, lengths of talks, experience level of speakers. It's just easier, I think, from that perspective. You could even have a meetup with a, a single 20-minute talk and then a bunch of time for socializing. You might not get a lot of attendees, but it's, it's strictly voluntary and it's free, so I think there's a lower barrier to entry. On the other hand, you might get a ton, depending on who it is talking and what they're talking about. Yeah, or about. maybe you'll get a ton of people RSVPing and you'll get five people showing up. But you, you never know what the yeah. meetup Yeah. So it, it seems to me like organizing a meetup is really easy these days. Do you agree with that? I mean... Basically, you just go to meetup.com, throw something up and provide some space and away you go. Is it harder than that or do you think it really is that easy? So um, I have some I feedback on this. Jameson's going to okay. say order pizza at every meetup. No, the, <laughs> that's the anti-feedback. Um, <laughs> meetups are hard in different ways. The individual event is smaller, but it's constant effort instead of a conference, which is a, an annual effort. Or you're doing a lot of work for a conference over a long period of time, but it's all for one event. And with a meetup, as soon as your meetup is over, you have to get on organizing the next one and chasing down speakers. And, and if it's hard finding 20 speakers for your conference once a year, it's harder to find three or four speakers for your meetup every month. So yeah. I think they're hard in different ways. It's not that... So it, it sounds like you're saying you should do a annual meetup with just one speaker. And then everything will be perfect. Yeah. Yes. That, that's called my house conference. And everyone just comes to my house <laughs> and I talk about video games. And it's already organized. Perfect. <laughs> easy. So easy. What's so hard about this whole thing? It's easy. That is actually a good point, though. Like uh, the constant uh, upkeep of a meetup. And one other data point that I'd like to share is that meetup.com, which is separate from the idea of just sort of a generic meetup. But a lot of them are hosted on meetup.com and meetup.com is, it functions really well as a discovery platform. Like it also functions as an RSVP system and it's okay at that. But its real value is a discovery platform. 
right? So people move to your city, they're interested in JavaScript, HTML5, iOS, whatever it is, and Meetup says, I'm going to connect you with all these different Meetups. But at the same time, if you don't host Meetups on a regular basis, then your group sort of gets stale. The people that